with us today, and uh, hopefully you're having a great Sunday, Lord's Day. And uh, let's take our Bibles this afternoon and let's turn to the book of John. John, <clears throat> and uh, Paul, I think you read chapter 14 already, haven't you? Very good. Uh, John chapter 14, that's, I would, uh, just trying to think what I might do here. No, there's nothing wrong with reading it again, right? Let's do it again. John chapter 14. We'll begin reading at verse 1. John 14, verse 1. Let not your heart... Actually, let's go back. I'm already going to change my mind. John 13. John 13. And uh, let's start in verse 31. John 13, verse 31. Therefore, when he was gone out, that's speaking of Judas Iscariot, and Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why can I not follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto you, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word. And let us just pause for prayer prior to our study this afternoon. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to be in your presence, to be surrounded by your love, to be immersed in your awesome supremacy to be here and to res- and to together resonate praises and offerings and honor to glorify you you are worthy of our praise father we would ask as well as part of this moments before us now as we lift our hearts in unison and asking for encouragement and knowledge and re- a furthering relationship of ourselves with you that, Father, you would use the word to go to the innermost parts of our being. And, Father, we would ask if anyone does not know Jesus Christ personally, that today would be that opportunity. We would pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit would be working and that he would be our sole teacher this afternoon. We would look to you, Father, to guide in, in all truth. And now, Father, we lift this up to you, asking that in our weakness... We are made strong because of you. We thank you for what you're going to do. 
In Christ's name, amen. Well, we've been uh, on a journey through Jesus Christ's, uh, the I am's, if you will. He's declared himself uh, a number of times. I think we're on number six at this point. But just to briefly review uh, the I am's that Jesus in the book of John had given to us, he declared, first of all, I'm in the bread of life in chapter six. I'm the bread of life. And then he went on in chapter eight to say, I am the light of the world. Furthering, uh, in chapter 10, I am the gate. And together, in unison with that, as he was speaking in the sense of him being the shepherd, he said, I am the good shepherd. Last week, we looked at, I am the resurrection and the life. Actually, the last two weeks, we kind of, do you notice I have a, a tendency of expanding on a topic? And I go down that little trail for a while, and then I go down this little trail, and I can't even hardly be circled back around, and I don't know where I'm at. But nonetheless, we talked about I am the resurrection and the life. And last week, we actually looked at the reactions of people to Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. The miracles that he did, some believed and some didn't. Today, we're going to look at, it is the sixth one, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We read it in John chapter 14 and verse 6. But there is something that has, we, in the first 12 chapters of John is, is a rather speedy, uh, it's, a rather, it's a journey that's moving along at a high rate of speed. And all of a sudden we come to chapter 12 and we go, urch, the brakes go on. And now we've taken chapters 12 all the way almost to chapter, I'm going to say 19, and it's like one week, just stuff, a lot of stuff stuffed in there. Uh, chapter 13 through 16 is the upper room discourse. Interestingly, that's the only gospel that really talks about those moments of real intimate relationship and communion that Jesus had with his disciples on the last hours before he would literally be betrayed. It's a time that is of intimacy. It's a time of trying to get them prepared. Have you ever had, when you're leaving on a, and this this is not anywhere near the sense, but have you as a parent... Uh, left your kids while you went on a trip or a journey. Okay, there's a few of you. Some of you with good memories, some with bad memories. But part of it was as you were preparing, you said, now remember to do this and remember to do this and remember I'll be back and remember to do this and remember I'll be back and remember to do this and this and and I'll be back. Right? Remember the back part? It's kind of good to instill that because it actually encourages them to do the right thing. Now, Jesus is doing it on a much grander scale. He is about to leave the earth. He has ministered, walked, and talked for three years with these disciples. And he's given everything. He's taught them. He's guided them. He's protected them. And now he's going to leave them. And they haven't got this. In fact, let's, let's take this week in this condensed form and just kind of unpack it for a moment. We find ourselves in John chapter 14, and I read 13 to lead us into that because it was an interesting thing. He has said on numerous occasions that he's going to leave them. And initially it was like, what do you mean you're going to leave us? That can't possibly be true because you're here and we're going to set up the kingdom and, and we're going to have this grand entry of Israel finally being at the helm of what God has desired for us all along, and we're happy to be part of that. And Jesus said, I will not be with you very much longer. What are we missing, right? 
What are we missing? In fact, it's interesting. In John, let's read this. With that in mind, in John chapter 14, uh, we'll, we'll, I want to just show you that it's almost the sense of, uh, of duplicating just for their, entry, their sake. John chapter 14, and look at verses 2 and 3. If in my Father's house are many mansions, we'll talk about that in a moment. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Okay, so he's, what does that mean? To go prepare a place, you have to leave the place you're in. But look what he says in verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, it's other words, I want you to get this. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. What part of that do you not get yet? A lot of it. They didn't get it. Now, again, I want to, as as this whole thing is starting to unfold, John chapter 13, which is a chapter we haven't really touched on, but it's part of the sequencing. But on Monday, it was like any other Monday. How was your Monday, by the way? Did you guys have a good Monday last Monday? Can't remember back that far. The disciples really are wondering why Monday turned into it. This is a Thursday evening is where this, where we're in chapter John, John chapter 14. We're in a Thursday evening. On Monday, are you ready? On Monday, Jesus arrives into Jerusalem. (laughs) I mean, the people are on fire for him. And the reaction is fantastic. It's called the triumphal entry. I mean, they're laying down branches and they're saying, Hosanna, glory to the king of kings. And then Jesus started to say some stuff. And by Thursday night, all of the crowds have literally about to be ready to turn against him because tomorrow, Friday, they will say the same group that said, Hosanna to the king of the highest. Hosanna. They're going to say tomorrow, Friday, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. How can that be? What's gone wrong? The disciples at this point, did you see what John chapter 14, verse 1 started with? Just like potentially, there's some people that I've talked to this week. You know what? These times are troubling, aren't they? I'm talking about 2020 now. I spoke with another people. There's people I prayed on the phone that are just, they're troubled. They've got challenges. And you know, now, who is the the person that's going to be in the most challenging situation within hours? Now, going back to about 33 AD is Jesus Christ. He's about to be crucified. He knows that. He's willingly given his life in advance to give what was necessary to complete the sacrifice and the fulfillment of what God needed to pay for sin. And he's it. In chapter 13, we could call it the chapter of love. In chapter 14, verse 1, it says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Now, I want you to see something. Do you think Jesus' walk was easy? Do you think because he was God the Son that it was simple? Look at this. Let's go back. I hope I can find it. I don't know that I have it in my notes. Uh, Yeah, here we go. John chapter 13. And verse 21, this is one of several. It says, when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit. Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Now, that'll take the disciples and blow them up, right? You got 12 in the room, and Jesus is troubled. Now, think of that. Jesus' spirit is troubled. I don't know what that looks like. But you know what? In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, when you were... I told somebody this week, I said, this is a verse you need to look at. Hebrews 4, 16. Because when you think that no one's journeyed down this trail, there's no way that you could be understood by all of the things that are taking place in your life. 
Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 is to say. In fact, let's go to it. You need to circle this in your Bible. You need to make this part of your reference when things are tough, when you're downtrodden. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Hebrews chapter 4, verse, we'll start in verse 15. Hebrews 4, 15. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with a feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as like we are, yet without sin. Let us, come there, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know what? In the world we find ourselves today, we need grace. We need help, don't we? I'll tell you what, if there was ever a time for us to wake up and pray for our nation, it is right now. You can pray like you've never prayed before, and it won't be enough. Because it, you know what prayer does? It doesn't fix those problems. It makes us on the level of where God wants us to be. Isn't that cool about prayer? It aligns our wills with His. Every time you pray to God, you are aligning yourself to God's will. Isn't that fantastic? If we could only get the halls of Congress. Wouldn't it be neat if, 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 if the Speaker of the House, Ms. Pelosi, would say, before we start today... Before we start tearing each other apart, let's pray to God and get on our knees. Do you think there'd be much tearing apart? No, No, because when we worship one, the one true God, everything changes. We need that today. (laughs) As I prayed with one, uh, actually, it was almost a conversation. It was a three-way. It was he and I, and I called God. We want to talk right now. You know, at the end of that, there's a healing, there's a comfort, there's a soothing, because God brings peace and comfort and love to that conversation, especially when our hearts are troubled. Now, it's good for me to know that my Jesus, the one that I worship, the one that I cling to, that is my Savior, my God, that it said he was troubled in spirit. I'm convinced because of chapter 13, the love that exuded from this. Do you know what he did? The first part of chapter 13, do you know what he did? He got down on his knees and washed the disciples' feet. And the disciples missed that opportunity. Let me wash your feet, Jesus. No, they were arguing about who was going to be number one in the kingdom. I'm going to be the secretary of defense. I'm going to be the secretary of treasury. And Jesus said, nothing. You know what he did? He, that's what he always does. God shows his love. He doesn't just tell us. He didn't tell us about love. He showed us about love. And love is action. It's never words. Not completely words. It is words. But it's action is what love is all about. If your love has no action, it's not loving. I'm not being condemning. I'm just it's the way it is. God showed his love. Now, here's a man, uh, God, the son, that is literally, if his life is not on the edge of chaos and complete meltdown, and who's he concerned about? Them. He's concerned about you. He wants you to have that relationship that his disciples did. Remember what he asked Mary? Or was it Martha? Which one was it? It was Martha. Martha come tearing out of the house, go to find Jesus on his ways. He's coming to see what could have been a really good thing from her perspective, my brother would be alive if he would have been here. And he said, who do, you, who do you say that I am? Well, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter said that. In fact, look at, look at this. In uh, John chapter 6, verse 69, let's go there for a second. See, the declarations they make of who Jesus is 
spells out a lot of things. John chapter 6 and verse 69. Well, start in verse 66. This would have been discouraging for the disciples. Now, think of the energy. Uh, let, let's, let's, you're at a Jesus rally. I'd like to have been to a Jesus rally, right? Because just to hear Jesus speak and to talk and to, and to give me his perspective on the truth. With a truth on the truth. That's weird today, isn't it? Can't even get the truth anymore. But here's Jesus at a Jesus rally. And all of these people are coming and they're following and it's all... They're almost mesmerized by this man, this Messiah. He calls himself the Messiah. That is speaking in terms that is so humble but so powerful. Have you, have you heard from folks like that? It's rare, but that one that has a quiet spirit that speaks with a great deal of power. Jesus would have done that extremely well. And then all of a sudden... He starts to say things that cut to the heart of the matter, and people start heading for the exits. Doors start opening. Oh, excuse me, probably weren't any doors. But either way, they slipped out the door. What do you think the disciples' hearts are doing? (laughs) How do you like to see when your cause, people start evaporating? Things that you believe in, the things that you feel strongly about, and all of a sudden, just dwindles. Jesus used as an opportunity to enforce what he wanted the disciples to know about him. John chapter 6, verse 66 says this. From that time... Oh, let's, let's step back just a moment. Uh, let's start in verse, verse 61. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Does this offend you? What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? John 6, 62. 63, it is the spirit that quickeneth or makes alive. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Isn't that? Now that's remarkable. And that's what Jesus wanted to hear. In fact, he went on. That's what he asked Martha. She comes burning out there, and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe? I believe thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Chapter 13, let's go back there to John chapter 13. We find a remarkable course of events. He washes their feet. And Peter, of course, <laughs> Peter's such a cool guy, isn't he? He's, a, he's, so, he's so open. He's so ready to jump into something. And here comes Jesus. And, you know, you can see it. He starts at one end. And I don't know where the mix was. Who was the first disciple of his feet washed? I don't know. But more than likely, knowing Jesus, it would have been Judas Iscariot. That's just how Jesus worked. In fact, he was at the place of honor in that evening. But after supper, it says in verse, chapter 13, verse 1, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Oh, my goodness. We have a, we have Satan in the room, literally. And you know what Jesus does? Does he stop loving? Does he condemn? 
No. No, he goes gets a basin of water. He strips down to his waist, he has a towel, and he begins washing feet. <laughs> That'll get your attention. All of that arguing, all of that bickering, all of those things that was disputings and strife and all of that was going on. And it was in a, in a good way. I mean, these disciples had walked for three years. They would have shot each other already if they didn't like each other at that point. It's just kind of a good, friendly kind of a, you know what I mean, right? And he comes to Peter and Peter says, what? I don't think I'm going to let you wash my feet. I should be washing yours. And Jesus said, then you'll have no part of me. Well, then wash my head and my every, just do. See, see, he was always overboard, wasn't he? But you have to admire him. But Jesus cuts through the quick. You're going to say, you're not even going to get to chapter 14 today. Well, we're going to work at it. Let's read verses 21. Let's start in there. It says that Jesus was troubled in spirit. He said, Verily, truly, truly, I say unto you that one of you should betray me. That would have been a very troubling statement for the disciples. Twelve men in this room surrounding Jesus. And he has just said, One of you will betray me. Verse 22. When the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he... In other words, can you imagine those? Who is it? Who is that one? Verse 23, now there was, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. Well, of course Peter would ask that, right? And who's the, who's the apostle that Jesus loved would be John, the one that wrote this account through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he, you can, can't you just see Peter, hey, hey, John, 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 ask Jesus who it is. Verse 25. He then, lying on Jesus' breast, said, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is, He it is to whom I have, shall give the sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things which we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. And then he says one more time, he says, I'm not going to be with you very long. I'm going to be leaving. Oh, the disciples are just, they can't take that. Peter says, where are you going? And that brings all into play chapter 14 of John. Is their heart troubled? Let me ask you, slip into Peter's sandals for a moment. Jesus not only said this, that I'm leaving. When Peter said, I'll go with you anywhere. In fact, I'll lay down my life for you. And then Jesus responds by saying, oh, will you? In fact, by morning, you will have denied me three times, Peter. And then he followed. That's why verse four, 1 of chapter 14 makes so much sense. Let not your heart be troubled. What do you mean? Let not my heart be troubled. This is pretty troubling. How was your week? Was it troubling? There were troubles, weren't there? Sometimes, now for us, uh, if, you, if, you've, if you're here today and you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, you're all in for him. You say, I, can't, I cannot handle my sin problem, but Jesus, I believe you can because you paid a price. You hung on Calvary's tree. God raised you from the dead, stamping the stamp of approval. That was payment in full for all of eternity. It's done. It's fixed. I'm trusting you with that. I repent of my sins. I cling to you, Father. 
I, I cling to Jesus' sacrifice. Father, I cry out to you. Literally, that changes the whole thing because you're no longer depending on yourself. Now, you are depending on many things, but most of the time, it was only one of two things. You're either depending on God's way, Jesus Christ's sacrifice, or you're depending on your way. And your way can have a lot of different avenues. But if you're on the road, if you trusted that one that said, I am the way, not a way, not going to show you the way, I'm saying, you must come through me. Well, that's so, so exclusive. It's so... Have, have any of you ever been in a burning house? Probably not many. You don't want to be either, do you? But if someone called you while you were in the house, they were in a position to see the only way to get out of there. Would you say, I don't want to go that way. It's just so exclusive. What would you say to that person? You're crazy, right? And life is the very same way. Now, see, for us, if you're on the right road and the road that gets you to Jesus, that gets you to the promise, you see all the trials along the way? You can get through those, can't you? But if you don't know where the road leads which a lot of people in our country, in our world today, don't know. They don't know where their life ends. If you ask the question, if you were to die today, where would you go? And if that answer is anything less than, I will be in heaven with my Lord Jesus Christ because I've trusted Him. If it's any other than that, then you don't know where your road ends. And if you don't know where your road ends, oh, a scary journey it is. But if I know that I'm going to be with my Savior then all of those little inconveniences, those, well, let's go to, let's go to Romans chapter 8. It just popped in my mind. Romans 8, verse 18. Paul lays it out pretty nicely. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Think of the week that you may have had. I'm thinking of those that have called me and struggling. And they say, look at verse 18. If you're on the road to eternity with Jesus Christ, it says, For I reckon or consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's it. If, you're, if I'm on the right road, I can take the rest of it. Right? That gets us through. In fact, talk about looking at the end game. Now, here we've dived right into Jesus' life. Now, he's beginning. Make no mistake about this. I already told you, his spirit is troubled. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's troubled. In fact, a few hours later, as they slip into the Garden of Gethsemane, it says that he literally perspired drops of blood from the anguish. If this cup could pass from me, but your will be done. He's about to have God the Father turn his back and forsake him. From noon, after being nailed on the cross at nine, from noon to three, God turned his back on one that he'd never left before. What would that feel like? We have no idea. But I can tell you this. That's why Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 makes so much powerful sense to me. Is we have a separation of God the Son and God the Father for those three hours. Jesus can help you through anything. Anything. That's the power of Jesus. 
Let's go to, uh, in fact, the first thing that he says, John chapter 14, once again, he's responding to, uh, here's these 12, he's just told, he's just told Peter the, the epitome. Not only, Peter, you're not going to lay down your life for me, you're going to deny me three times. And, by the way, there's still someone in that room that is going to pre- betray Jesus. We have, we have a real dilemma on our hands. We have a depressed group of disciples. Not only going to see the kingdom, not only is there someone in there that's going to betray him, there's Peter, the loudmouth, the spokesman, that is going to be, uh, deny Jesus three times. And then Jesus just goes ahead and he says, let not your heart be troubled. Oh, well, how about that? Has anyone told you when you're really anxious, when you're really on edge, when you, there's, there's, in fact, you, you can't see any good on the end, and then they say, don't be troubled. You a response? Oh, great. Awesome. I, I'm fixed. I'm, it's over. It's all done. But Jesus, he not only makes a plea for them not to be troubled, he lays out a promise. He lays out a promise. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now, that's interesting how he says that. Does that mean they haven't been believing him for three years? No, I don't think so. Let's stop for a moment. It said, you believe in God. From what perspective? Well, they would have been on Old Testament time, correct? Old covenant time. They would have trusted a God. Had they ever seen God, the Father? No, of course not. Had they seen Jesus Christ? Yes, and in fact, he said, if you see me, you have seen the Father, Emmanuel, God with us. This is me, Jesus Christ, showing you who the Father is. And then he says, believe, you believe in God, believe in me. In what, in what case? I'm leaving. Believe me when I'm not here. You see? Because this whole thing's going to change now. No longer is Jesus going to be amongst them. Will they believe him any less? He says, no, believe just as you believe God, believe in me. In fact, he's doing, what a deal. He's living amongst them. When he leaves, he's going to give them the Holy Spirit that will dwell not only with you, in you. All of those that trusted Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. And that's why a Christian, someone that's trusted Christ, do you know how they really grow? Is you can't stay out of the Bible because when you're using the Bible, the Holy Spirit is ministering, taking that word and using it to make you stronger. And more of what God wants you to be in the sense of conforming to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That is fantastic. And it's all a gift. You didn't earn any of it. You can't buy it. You can't go down to Walters and go down the bottom. and say, I'd have like, could I get a pound of Holy Spirit? Can't do it. Did you ever try to get six ounces of Jesus? Dollar of God? I just want a dollar of God today. Just, just give me a dollar amount of God. Just, is, it, is there somewhere? No, it's not like that. It takes faith. It takes faith to energize that. Without faith, in fact, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. Familiar verse, but it's not in my notes, but it seems appropriate. Hebrews chapter 11. Let's look at verse 6. We'll just start in verse 1. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Let me, let me just, something just pops in my mind. So sometimes we see, you've heard that blind faith. I just got to believe it as long as I believe it. I remember there was a, a gentleman that said um, he was struggling with a, a health issue. And, uh, you know, we were just talking about it. And he said, I just have to have faith. And I could see that, well, I just, let me just continue. Maybe I've told you the story. And 
And I said, faith in what? Well, um, faith. I just I got to believe. In what? And now he's frustrated because I'm supposed to get this, right? I'm supposed to like, you know, as long as you just say you have faith and you believe, then that's good enough. That's all it takes is, see, really what it was? He just was depending on having faith in his faith, which can only be as strong as his faith. Faith is only as strong as the object in which it's placed or the validity. That's why I want to make sure I have faith in the only thing that is absolutely 100% supreme and awesome overall, and that is God. If you have faith in anything less, you're out to lunch. I'm sorry, you're out to lunch. In fact, let's keep going. Now watch, this is the Old Testament. Nobody had seen God at this point, obviously. Where did I? lost my place. For uh, verse 3, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. That's interesting. Look at creation. How many of you love to look at creation? Montana is a fabulous place to be, isn't it? Another place that... Have, how many of you have been to Alaska? Anyone? Yeah, a few of you had. That, to me, would be, I think, a spectacular place of God's majesty on display. I mean, isn't it something? And, and you look at this, and you have to say, you, if you're reasonable, rational, and logical in any way, shape, or form, you have to say, someone designed this. This doesn't just happen. Have you ever taken a puzzle? You know, let's say it's a thousand piece. How many like puzzles? Well, not very many. Exactly. I'm with you not liking them so much. Okay. Have you ever had some pieces gone from the puzzle? That'll drive you crazy. How about if somebody put 50 extra pieces in the puzzle? That would be worse. Where do you put those? Okay, let's get back to the story at hand. Let's just say, now here you got this thousand piece puzzle. There's a picture on the front of it. I don't know who puts those there. They never look like that when you're done. You take the puzzle box, you open it up, and you just throw it on the ground, and magically, it puts itself together. That is exactly the same concept of believing that this creation of which we adore, admire, and are part of, blessed with, is to say that there is not a supreme creator. It doesn't just happen. That's what we're talking about. Nature just speaks loudly of a great, majestic God, a supreme being, and he loves us. That's what's really cool. Would you love somebody like us? (laughs) You don't have to be so vocal about it, but anyway. (laughs) But isn't it true? It's absolutely true. Let's keep going. How do we get hung up on Hebrews? Because it's good stuff. Let's keep going. By faith, now now here's some some examples. By faith, verse 4, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. Wow. Verse 5. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated. It means he took him. He raptured him. He took him away. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now watch verse 6. This one you need to mark. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Who's him? God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's pretty powerful. That's what Jesus is asking them to do. You believe in God, now believe in me. And then he goes on, and there's a promise. He goes from a plea to a promise. Let's go back to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, and let's look at what he's saying. Verse 2. 
in my father's house are many mansions. Let's stop there for a moment. Where's, where's the father's house? Father's house. Well, let's take a step back and let's see. Jesus in John chapter 2, you can, just, you can find it for yourself in John chapter 2. Jesus goes into what he says, his father's house, and there was a whole lot of corruption going on in there. There was racketeering. There was profit being made. There was money changing, literally. In fact, again, if you came from a long journey and there was a, a feast... And at that time, of course, the Old, old Covenant was in, was in place. You would go through the sacrificial system, particularly at Passover. And what did you have to have at Passover if you were a Jew? You had to have a Passover lamb. And maybe you even brought the lamb from home. You prepared this lamb for up to, who knows, six, eight, maybe a year. I don't know. But it would be without blemish. It would be part, very part of your family. And as you would enter into the temple... They would say, oh, oh, stop, stop right there. Oh, no, that lamb is not good enough. But we have one that would be. And we'll trade little fluffy. There we go. We're going to trade a little fluffy in. And, and you can get Sammy, the sheep. And it won't cost you too much. Do you see what they were doing? Guess who got Fluffy the next guy that showed up, because he was good enough for them. See, that was going on at a high, massive scale, and Jesus made it a whip. I, I would have just wondered what that was like. Jesus was angry here. His emotions were on high. I think Jesus is probably angry right now with what's going on in the world today. 61 million-plus babies have been killed since 1973. A law was passed in New York on January 22nd, the anniversary date, of Roe v. Wade in 2019, literally making it legal to kill a newborn baby. Healthy? I can't even talk about it. But anyway, back to the story, because that's somehow, it's amazing, isn't it? And, and so Jesus is making a whip. How would you like to make watch that? I, just, I wonder what Jesus is doing. I didn't know he's into braiding. And then all of a sudden he's completed and he literally whips and drives the money changers out of where? His father's house. That's what he called it. So now you're saying, well, wait a minute. What do you mean in my father's house there's many mansions? What's he talking about? Well, let's go to Hebrews chapter 9. We've been in Hebrews a lot today, but let's go to Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 23. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 23. <clears throat> It was therefore, are you there? Hebrews 9.23. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these. In other words, when he says patterns, it copies of things in heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves are better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the truth, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. What does he say? There's copies of things in heaven on earth. And as God laid out for, for the designers of making this temple, and there have been several of them now, but that is just a copy of what's going place in heaven. So the Father's house now is heaven. In heaven, in my Father's house. That's the ultimate. That's the real deal. The temple down here was nothing more than a copy of that, correct? If you're not in heaven, you need a copy. That's why he drove them out. He wanted heaven to be 
he wanted the temple to be on the same level as heaven. So now he's saying, in my father's house were many mansions. Now, how many of you have been signing up for a mansion in heaven? Have you? Good job. Yeah. Are they pretty big? Yeah. That's what they said. Okay. In the Bible. Yeah. Okay. Well, interestingly enough, um, that word mansion, Monet, means room. Now, in ancient times, if you, a father had a house and he had children that lived in the house, and if a, a child grows up, obviously, and then that child would become married, they would add on to the house. They would add a room, and then another ch- add a room. And the houses would get bigger and bigger and bigger. So this made a lot more sense to those in that time frame. The father's house just expanded with rooms, which is exactly what Jesus is saying. It doesn't mean that if you don't live, uh, I don't want to say that. If if you didn't live a life fully um, applied to what God would want you to do, you've got to live on the other side of the tracks 30 miles down the road from heaven. No, 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 no. That's not at all. In other words, you get a mansion bill, but your wife doesn't. Oh, that didn't go over well. You get a mansion, but he doesn't. <laughs> now we're going somewhere, right? It's not like that at all. In fact, and there's been a lot of songs that literally have made that erroneous in the sense of theology. No, he's saying this. In my father's house, which is heaven, I'm going to prepare a room, a place for you. And if it's in heaven, now think of Jesus been a builder from day one. He built all the worlds that we see. And what do you think he'd be when he comes to earth? A carpenter. Well, of course he would be. He's a builder. And from there he's going, he went back home to build a place for all of those that choose him as their Savior. Isn't that fantastic? I think it's fantastic. I'm looking forward to seeing the room, the place that he's prepared for me. Aren't you excited to see where you're going to be? To see that life's journey, when you know where you're going, all of this other stuff is just, it's fluff. No, it hurts, there's pain, there's trials, there's stuff along the way. But if I know my road is going to the destination, I'm okay with that. But if you just get in your car and you just take off and you drive and you have no map, you have no idea, you have no compass, you have no idea of what you're doing. How do you feel? Lost. And what does lost feel like? No Siri. Oh, by the way, no Siri either. You don't have her either. Siri, where am I? She doesn't work. What would that do? You know what happens? Exactly what's going on in our world today. There are literally millions and millions of people in the United States of America that have no idea where their road goes. They have no idea where their life's journey is taking them. Do you know what happens? They're full of fear. They're full of fear. And more fear. Right? That's why our world is full of fear. People don't know where they're going. They don't know what road they're on. Did I mention we need to pray for our nation? He's going to prepare a place for us. I'd like us to go to, uh, let's go back a couple verses I might have missed. Write these, jot these, let's go down and find them. Let's go to Psalm chapter 27. Psalm chapter 27. Because what Jesus is doing now is giving comfort. He's consoling those disciples in this moment that they are disillusioned, they're distraught, they're depressed, they're bewildered. But what Jesus is saying, there's going to leave them at such a critical time. Uh, Psalm chapter 27. Let's look at verse 1. 
The Lord is, this is the Psalm of David, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Down to verses 13 and 14. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. That's fantastic advice. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 6. Deuteronomy 31 and verse 6. I'll get there in a minute. Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee. That was what God told to Moses. In fact, if you go to Joshua and Moses, now how would that be? You want to talk about a time of trouble? Let's step into Joshua's shoes for a moment. Moses has been that guy. You've been the lieutenant. And, and Moses is, he's Captain Moses. Moses is, he's, he's it, right? I mean, everybody knows he's it. He goes on the mountain and gets really close to God, comes down, and his whole being is almost like shining. They can't even look at him. And that's who you're going to replace if you're Joshua? Um, is there anybody else? Uh, I don't think I'm qualified. Have you ever felt not qualified? That's a great place to be. It's a great place to be because that means then you're going to look at it just like Paul did. In my weakness, then you, God, are made strong. In, my weak, if, in fact, if you want to go with strength and you want to go with some sense of gusto and some sense of pride, guess what? You are going to fall flat on your face. But when you approach it with humility and openness and obedience, guess what? God can use that for a fantastic sacrifice and allow you to do exactly what he wants to get done. Now, Moses had a plan, didn't he? Remember that? He was in charge. He saw what God wanted to do. He saw that God wanted to lead his, his, his fellow Israelites. Now, again, I want, to, I want to make sure that we understand Moses is a great guy. Because Moses saw through this Egyptian thing, and he was now the Pharaoh's son. By, what would you call that? By baptism? I don't know. He's in the water. and his, Well, that was a poor excuse. But at any rate, he, his daughter comes home with his baby and says, yeah, it, right? It would be. And so here comes, here comes uh, um, Ms. Pharaoh's daughter at home. I don't know what her name was. I can't remember it. She had one, and she did, of course. And she comes on, Dad. Did you? You can't believe this. This this must be one of those Hebrew babies down there by the river. And it was in. I, I can't believe it. I love it. And guess what? I found somebody to take care of it for me. Oh, and she's working out great. I guess. <laughs> Isn't that? If, and you say there's not a God? You have got to be kidding me. That right there, that whole thing. Here you have the, the Hebrew baby in a in a in a, a little basket. And the, and the teenage daughter, Miriam, is watching this from a distance. And she sees, oh, no, they found him. Right? And then the, the, the Pharaoh's daughter, oh, it's a Hebrew baby. Now, that first of all, to have God put love within her eyes of that, is, that's a miracle. And then here comes this little girl. I got to tell you what, Miriam is awesome. She runs over. Hi, do you need somebody to help you with that little baby? <laughs> well, that's a great idea. I'm glad you thought of it. Well, I'll go get somebody. How would, that is fantastic. And Moses didn't want any part of that. He could have been, I mean, number one below Pharaoh. And when Pharaoh would have died, he would have been in charge. And he says, no, that's not me. I'm a Hebrew. I want to do what God wants me to do. 
regardless of power, prestige, or privilege. That's a novel concept today. But he had a plan. He got ahead of God. Have you ever run ahead of God? You ever tried that? When you get ahead of God, what happens? You fall on your face, right? Doink, 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 doink. Fall downstairs. You ever fall downstairs? Moses fell down the stairs. He's got ahead of God. He says, oh, this Egyptian who is beating on a Hebrew, he says, well, I'm going to take care of this. So he kills him. And the next day, two Hebrews fighting. Moses says, knock it off. Oh, you're going to kill me too? That's a good time to get out of town. 40 years old. Messed up the whole thing, right? Now, this is another thing. Was he washed up? At 40 years of age, he did everything wrong. Loved God. Knew what God wanted ultimately. Got ahead of him. Is he washed up? No. What you do when you're washed up is you go ten sheep for a while. For 40 years, as a matter of fact. <laughs> so if you think you're out of sync and you've had a bad day, you probably got a little learning to do. Sheep are in your family? Are sheep are in the, in the picture? You know what? It made Moses an absolutely fantastic leader. A fantastic leader. In fact, it made him so humble and so meek. Does anybody know where that verse is at? I might have written it down. I can't find it. I can't. Anyway, it speaks of of Moses being one of, the, the, one of the most meek and humble men on the earth. How do you think that happened? From being the son of Pharaoh? No, from being in God's, what would I call that, boot camp, sheep camp. And it made him a fantastic leader. In fact, when he had 40 years of that under his belt, then he was ready to lead 40 rebellious, snotty-nosed Israelites across the desert. 40 years leading those guys around. Let not your heart be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Are you here today and you're saying, you know, I'm just not growing fast. And if it just seems like God, I don't know what's going on. I, I, I kind of, I got two steps forward and, well, maybe one step back and then it's three forward and two back. And well, I'm not saying that's the goal, but look at this. Uh, if you're in Christ today, turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verse, one, verse 6. Philippians 1, 6. I've got a pesky fly up here. He will not give it up. I'm going to have to. Philippians 1.6. Watch this. Being confident of this. Oh, by the way, where's Paul at right now? He's writing the book of Philippians. He's in jail. He's in prison. Nice place to write letters, right? You have time on your hands. So he should be what? What should he be doing? Whining? Is that what we would do? Just put yourself in jail for just right now. Falsely accused. No charges. All false. You're standing up for who? Now get this, not you, not your wife. Not, you're standing up for Jesus Christ. You are promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you are in the slammer. That could happen to us, by the way. It's closer and closer all the time. So what does Paul do? Oh, I can't believe God did this to me. What a bummer. I mean, the food's lousy. The temperature's lousy. I got no control over anything. I can't even, I don't even my Bible. I, right? Can you see it? Can you hear it? Can you hear the whining? You can't? Fantastic, because he didn't whine. Like, what he starts right out is this. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from our God, our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank, What? I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. I watch verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, 
that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He is not finished with you. When you have a bad moment, a bad day, maybe even a bad week. Have you ever had a bad week? That's pretty discouraging, isn't it? You can just say, what? God's not finished with me yet. He's still working on me. And I got some work to do. Because you know what he does when he's done working on you? All of those people that you've touched along the way, he uses you to work on them. He has a plan. Your journey is part of someone else's journey. When you submit in love and obedience to him. In fact, how do we know that? You, how do you know? If, I was, if you were going to tell me, I love God, and what would you tell me? How do I, how, you prove to me that you love God. Jesus actually laid it out. Let's go, to, let's go back to John chapter 13, because we said it was a chapter of love. John chapter 13, let's go there. Jesus answers the question. I think he does, if I'm in the right chapter. Oh, where am I at? There we go. I'm actually in John 14. And you're in John 13, okay? John 14. Let's go. Let's go here. Watch Jesus. Now, did, did anybody have the answer for me? If you tell me that you love Jesus, and I say, can you prove it? And you say, I said so. Is that good enough? Needs some action. Exactly. In fact, let's what Jesus lays it out here for us. Verse 15. In John chapter 14, if you love me, keep my commandments. <laughs> isn't that fantastic? That's, it's so true, isn't it? If you love someone, what will you do? You will honor that person by doing what is pleasing to that person, right? You guys are not very energetic today. <laughs> Lots of stuff to think about, right? Amen. There we go. That's better. That's better. Let's go and look at the mansions for a second. We'll just go look at the building code. Um, let's go to Revelation chapter 21. This is your... Oh, how many, did, did anybody remember the assignment from last week? Read John. Yeah. Read, what did you say? Read John. Okay. Very, I thought you said John 1, and I thought, no, you got a long ways to go, buddy. Okay. It was the whole book of John. Now, I'm not going to even ask for you. Of course, if you weren't here, you don't have to, to be involved, but you do now because I'm telling you, for you that weren't here last week, you need to read the, the book of John. Okay, the book of John, not John 1. You, you meant John, the book, right? Okay, very good. Um, so you that read the book of John, what did you think? Wow, made a real impression upon you guys, right? Right? Read it again. <laughs> okay, that, isn't that what your homeroom teacher would say? Do it again, right? Okay, and it won't hurt a thing, will it? Okay. But John chapter 1, or John, the book of John is a great place to start, literally the Gospels. It acquaints you with Jesus Christ. In fact, the key verse, you should write this down, John 20, 31. The reason that John wrote it was to bring others to Jesus Christ, to show them the fact that there is everlasting life if you believe on him, the Son. In fact, let's, let's read it. Just No, no, don't do that. Just write it down. You, you guys read it on your own. John 20, 31. Okay? Just write it down. John 30, 20, 31. Where I want to take you now is I want to go to Revelation chapter 21. That's your assignment for next week. Read Revelation chapter 21. You want to know what heaven looks like? Whoa, it is fantastic. In fact, let's dial in to Revelation chapter 21. I'm just going to pop in a verse. And let's look at verse 16. That is not... Oh, I'm at 22. That'll mess it up. Won't it? Yeah, I've got to go to 21, verse 16. The city... This is the new Jerusalem. And the city lieth four square... 
and the length is as large as the breadth, and he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs. How many of you went, how many furlongs is it to Dillon? I don't know either. I don't go by furlongs, right? You go by miles. But let's keep going. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. So in other words, it's a cube, okay? Let's think of a, a cube. It's 1,500 miles up, 1,500 miles wide, and 1,500 miles the other way. It's hurting your head, isn't it? Obviously, gravity is not part of this system because how do you, right? Gravity's not your problem anymore. You can't fall down anymore. I love not falling down. No, it's true. You won't have any gravity. You cannot fall down in heaven. You look at me with this dazed look. Who cares? I really don't want to fall down anymore. You don't trip and fall anymore, right? You just trip and stay, stay, stay standing. And you'll never step in mud. No, you won't. <laughs> but think of that. That's, that's just a picture. And there's been people tried to, that have tried to analyze how many people can live in a 1,500-mile cube. It's a lot. That's where I'm going to come with. It's a lot. But chapter 21 gives you a full description. There's no more sorrow. There's no more pain. All of those things. It, 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 it just picks your heart up because that's what Jesus Christ paid to get, that's the ticket he bought for you to get there when you believed him and take the ticket. You have to take it. He died for everyone. He died for every sin. There's not a sin he didn't die for. But you have to take the ticket. No ticket, no admittance. It's that simple. It's exclusive. He said so. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, oh, that was the, that was the other part. It's really kind of... You know, if you're thinking there was another way, you know, he could say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, well, that's, yeah, I mean, I, 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 that's cool. But what if there's another way? Oh, he ruled that out, didn't he? Let's go back to the Bible. In John chapter 14, he really lays it out there. He's so specific. John chapter 14 and verse 6. Thomas actually asked the question. Well, this, is, this is a great question. Thomas, verse 5, said unto him, Lord... We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Isn't that a great question? If I was going to ask you, how do you get to heaven? So many people would say, well, by being good. What does that mean? How good? How good is good enough? Good compared to who? Good to a prison inmate? Or Remember, isn't that something? Jesus Christ, literally, his life was traded for Barabbas, who was a killer. So the giver of life was traded for one that took life. Ay, 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 right? But then he says in John 14, 6, after saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he says this. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Thomas asked the way. How do I know the way? And he said it. And he said, watch. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Where's the Father? In the Father's house, in heaven. You're not going to get to heaven without Jesus Christ, coming through Jesus. In fact, he said, I am the door. Right? We don't learn about that with sheep. But literally, out if the fold, if this enclosure, this encampment where you had the sheep protected, that shepherd would sleep, stay right in the doorway. You had to go through him to get in or get out. That's exactly the picture when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes out of the Father by me. And, and if that still bothers you, if that really bothers you, I'm sorry, but not very sorry, because God made this. He, can, he calls the shots. Have it out with him. Make sure you're asking the right God. If the God says that it isn't about Jesus, 
If, it's, if that God that you're asking is, says, no, it, no, Jesus, you can go other ways, that's not the right God. Allah is not the right God. Buddha is not the right God. Power, prestige, and privilege is not the right God. See, all of those say that that's bigoted, that's, that's, that's whatever it is, that's the wrong God. Make sure you re- ask the right God. Oh, the, what the, the blessings that we, count, that we have through Jesus Christ. Amazing. Um, one of the things, let's go uh, to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. We see Jesus, now, it said that he went to sit at the right hand of God, and yet we see him in a standing position in 7 chapter, verse 55. Who's this? This is Stephen. Now, this guy was full of the Holy Spirit. In fact, we'll start there. Acts chapter 7. Let's watch verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. What did he do? He, pre- he was preaching at them. They were cut to the heart. They gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And the, behold, I see the heavens open, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried with a loud voice, stopped their ears, ran unto him with one accord, cast him out of the city, stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. They stoned Stephen, calling upon God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down, cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Literally, Jesus Christ is standing there receiving this one that's full of the Holy Spirit. Make no, make, make no uh, mistake about it. Stephen is on the edge of being as full of God as you could be. And there's Jesus just reaching out, receiving him. He's doing the same for you. He's seated being an advocate when Satan accuses you, when he's bringing all of these charges against you. Paid for that. Paid for that. Paid for that. That happens all day long. If you've trusted Christ, it's paid for. Isn't that... I don't know how to encourage... Let not your heart be troubled. You're anxious today. You're troubled. You're full of fear. You're full of worry. You're full of whatever. Those disciples were more so than you can imagine. Jesus was going to leave. He was going somewhere else. They didn't know where. Their hearts were troubled. Let's go to Acts chapter 4. You're already in verse in chapter 6, or chapter 7. Go to Acts chapter 4. Let's look at verses 10 through 12. Now, again, look at this in verse 8, Acts chapter 4, verse 8. It says, Then Peter, guess what? Filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Hare Krishna. No, it doesn't say that. By the name of Muhammad. Oh, it doesn't say that. By the name of... Just put your name in there. Right? That's what we are when we're running by ourselves. Well, it says this. It says, By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him, doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Watch verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Turn with me to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, if this doesn't make sense, I'll tell you what. Somebody that says the Bible isn't relevant, 
This chapter is. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1 because it flows us into the context. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of all thanks be made for all men. Watch. Watch verse 2. For kings, for presidents, I'm adding now, for county commissioners, for anyone really in authority, for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. That's what God wants. Do you think God wants riots in Minneapolis and Chicago and Seattle and all? You've got to be kidding me. Right there, that verse right there says we should be praying for our authorities. Now, they have responsibilities. That was actually a certain, there's like seven or eight things that leaders need to have to be able to be leaders that God can honor and use. I don't have time to live. We're missing it, folks. God wants us to pray for our leaders. You see, we're just as responsible as leaders for not following through on what God wants them to do. Right? I mean, I can't come up with anything else. We need to pray for our leaders. We need to know why we're voting. And that's that's the deal. Romans 8.28. For we know that all things work together for good to those that love God. How do we know you love God? We just talked about keeping his commandments. You love the things God loves and you hate the things God hates. I will tell you this. God hates taking innocent life. He hates it. God loves the family, the traditional family, because he created it. He's pro-family. He's pro-life. Those are things we have to stand firmly on because those are things that God loves. Am I being firm enough? I hope so. These are things, we're we're in a world today that we've lost. In fact, I think it's Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. It says, woe unto them where evil is good and good is evil. That's what's happening in our country today. We're calling things that are evil good and we're calling things that are good evil. Can't have it. Wow, lots of stuff to pray for. Lots of stuff to pray for. Where did I take you and I didn't finish? Oh, yeah, we're in 1 Timothy. You're saying, let's get done, Larry. Yeah, let's get done. Let's keep moving. For verse 3, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Anyone that says, you read verses 2 and 3 together and you say, if that doesn't fit what God's asking us to do, I don't know. And watch now verses 4 through 6. This is where we wanted to go. Who, God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved. He wants everyone to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and the men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. That passage of Scripture is so incredibly powerful in conjunction with John chapter 14, verse 6. It just lays it out there. There is one road, and that's the way it is. If that's too exclusive for you, take it up with God. But make sure it's the right God that you're talking to. And it's not like he didn't provide everything we need. That's what's really cool. Now, if God just said, hey, you're on your own, I don't know if you're going to make it or not. I don't have any idea. See, that's what if you're a Muslim and you're trusting Allah, he can change. He can abrogate. What he said today, in fact, those that flew into the Twin Towers, that might have been okay that day, but a thousand years from now, I lost it out. I don't like that plan anymore. I'm going to just forget that. I, I changed my mind. How would you like a God like that? I want to know where God stands. I want to know that he said, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever, and I'm with you to the end. That's what Jesus said to the disciples when he left them. Lo, I am with you to the end. He's with you all the way. That 
should calm our hearts. Those disciples, as they got done, the chapters 13 through 16 are that upper room discourse. Can you imagine the intimacy of those moments? Now, Judas Iscariot has left. They're surrounded, and here's Jesus just talking to them in a very quiet, intimate, loving voice. This is what's coming, and this is what I ask for you guys to do. Love one another. That's how the world's going to know. Isn't that true? The biggest problem in some of our cities today is there's not a lot of love going on. There's certainly no love for truth. That's our biggest issue that I can see in the United States today is we have a lack of love for truth. If that, was, if that isn't true, that there's a lack of love for truth, then the Bible would be the best-selling book every single place all day long. It's the source of truth. Are you reading your Bible regularly? Are you, searching, are you searching and seeking for truth? Then do it. That's where you'll find God. That's where you'll find the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where you'll find how much he loves you. Let not your heart be troubled. He gave the plea. He gave the promise. I mean, can you imagine? God, God made everything that you've seen and beyond. You haven't seen the whole universe. Think of how large and expansive it is and how minuscule and descriptive and design-worthy it is. He did that in six days. How long has he been working on your room in heaven? Oh, can't wait. Just make sure that Jesus is in your plans to get where you're going. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your love and care. We thank you for all of what Jesus has accomplished. And we think of the compassion, the love, the intensity of that love as he spoke with those disciples when they were troubled and knowing that he himself would endure a cross. And in Hebrews 12, 2, it says, he endured the cross with joy, knowing what would be on the other side. Thank you, Father, that Jesus went and he went to the very end and he said, it is finished, as he gave his life purposely, lovingly, obediently for us. Father, thank you for the gift of grace that could be given freely now because Christ paid the price. As he died on Calvary's tree for us, what more could be said for God to have given his very son? Given his son for sinful man. For the wages of sin is death. We've all fallen short and there's none righteous, no, not one. And yet, in Christ, we are made whole, complete, saved, and given eternal life. Who will you believe on today? Will you choose Jesus? Or will you go down the pathway trusting yourself? That's a question that you must answer. And by not answering it, you've answered it. Don't linger, don't wait. Answer that question seriously and completely. And I pray that you would trust Jesus. Father, we'll thank you for the, all of the opportunities you've given us to just be alive and to be refreshed by your wholesome, sovereign, awesome being. Thank you for the word of God. We ask that you would, again, minister it to us in exactly the right way, the right place as we travel through our journeys in life, as we touch and come into contact with one another, knowing that when we're obedient to you, that others are impacted positively as well.
Father, use us. Make us more like Jesus every moment. Every moment. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen.